0: Welcome to this time as we begin uh, to our look to God's Word. We're f- filling, they're finishing our top 10 things that God wants us to know and to share. And hopefully this has been an encouragement. I I really enjoyed preparing for these messages. Uh, If you missed any of them, you can go uh, online. They're all there for you to see. If you go to YouTube or Facebook, uh, each week we are live streaming them, and then they're on there for you to see past uh, whenever you'd like to go back and to see them. Uh, We've been looking at these 10 things that God gave to Moses and ten things that God wants all of us to know, and we understand that Jesus set us free from the law in the sense that uh, we, were, we were condemned by the law, but we are freed in Christ. And we're free to live out now the true principles of the law, and this is what God was revealing to us. And so as we began, we started with the first one. Uh, number one, only one God. Everyone wins by putting God first. And you win in your family as a, a parent, as a, a child, as an aunt and uncle when you put God first. You win at your job when you put God first. Every area of life wins, and everyone wins around you when you put God first. Number two, no idols. We're to be worshipers, not idolaters. And, and we were created. It's an amazing thing to recognize that the reason God put you on this earth is to worship him. And to worship him is to know him as your savior and then to say thank you for the rest of your life for something you could never earn, for something we could have never achieved on our own. And so we worship God, and worshiping is a submission. It's a saying that you are, you are everything. You're the all in all. And there's so many things. Our money will ask us to do that for it, to make it our all in all. Um, uh, comfort and leisure, all these things will be calling for our attention to, to make them their, our all in all when God says, I am the one that should be worshipped and no other. Uh, Number three, do not misuse the Lord's name. And we talked about the the fact that it's not just using his name inappropriately, but it is to take on his name, to carry his name, and to carry his name well. If I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. I'm I'm to be a small Christ. I am to be a reflection of my Lord and Savior. And so carrying on the name of Christ is so important. Carrying on the name of I'm a believer in the one God, the one true God that has created both heaven and earth. Number four, to keep the Sabbath holy. You know, you need today. I need today. I need a day to just slow down and stop all the busyness of life. You know, I'm guilty of trying to force things to happen and move quickly. And God says, in my timing, you know, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, says the Lord to him. And so he's in, he's not in any hurry. He wants me to be patient and to seek him and and to get a healthy rhythm I think a lot of challenges, a lot of problems we invite into our lives because we get unhealthy rhythms. Either we have too much work and not enough rest, or we have too much rest and not enough work. And so we need to find that healthy rhythm. And, and God has instituted the seventh day of rest. And so us living that out, that is a, it's an invitation to join God in a, in a unique way and join others in a unique way once a week to have a healthy life, uh, both physically and spiritually. Number five. We're told to honor our fathers and mothers, and for that to happen, we need to be an honorable family. That means whether you have a father, whether you have a a good mother, a good father, or or not, I'm to be a good father, I'm to be a good mother, I'm to be a good and honorable person so that I can uh, allow my children to honor me because I'm honorable. And so having honor and character and integrity are so vitally important. And God is saying this is something that all of us need to hear. All of us need to share this. Because we live in a world where honor has lost its place in our society. Being honorable isn't something that people aspire to. And yet it is such an important part of life. It's to want to be honorable. To to be in a place where where when they say you're of good character, it's true and accurate of you. Number six, do not murder. Uh, God's solution for hate is forgiveness. Right? Jesus said you can murder someone in your heart. You can be a murderer every single day. You can hold on to bitterness and anger towards someone. And we're to to release that. And we're to ask God, as he has forgiven us, that we would forgive others. Number seven, we're told not to commit adultery. To plan to be faithful. Don't wait to be faithful. Plan to be faithful establish something in your life, establish like putting a flag down in your life that declares who you are and what you are. I am a faithful person. I will be faithful till I die and I will commit to this path because this is what God has for me. And so faithfulness is so vitally important to all of us. So let's be faithful to the Lord. Number eight, do not steal. Be generous to God. Don't steal from him. And we talked about how anytime you steal because God owns everything, you're ultimately stealing from God. And anytime you're generous because God owns everything, you're being generous to God. And we're told that at our judgment, the the way that God is judging people, and Jesus judges as he says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. All these lists of things that we did to the least of these, you did as unto me. Your generosity to others is your generosity to God. And so he calls us to a life of generosity, not stealing. And then number eight our number nine is today. Do not lie. Do not lie. And so that's, we're almost there. We're almost at 10. Are you excited for 10? <laughs> Do not lie. Right now, don't lie about that. Uh, <laughs> so, in my life, there's been times where I've been tempted to lie. Believe it or not, yes, I think we've all been tempted to lie. And some days, multiple times in a day, you're tempted to lie. And I can remember when I was in second grade. Um, I struggled in, in elementary school because I had dyslexia. I saw things backwards. And so I had to go to a special teacher uh, my first couple years in elementary school to retrain my brain to see it accurately. Um, and interesting to me is that there's other places in the world where I'd really fit in because they do write it backwards. But, uh, so I had to retrain my mind to see it. So spelling was a very difficult, even today, spelling is a challenging thing because my mind doesn't look at it. I have to reorganize it a little bit. So in second grade, I was not good at spelling, and we would have a spelling test. And uh, it, during the spelling test, you'd have to, if you got a poor grade on it, you had to take it home and give it to mom and dad, and there was a little place where they had to sign it to see that they saw what you got on your spelling test, and then you had to return it. And here was the punishment. The punishment was, if you didn't get it signed, you didn't get to go uh, to PE. You didn't get to go out for rec time, Okay. My favorite part of the day was playing a game called kickball. Next slide, Elijah, please. Kickball was my favorite game. And my favorite thing to do is kick that ball as hard as I could and run around the bases as fast as I could. Literally from when I woke up the morning, the only thing I cared about was kickball for that day. And so to lose kickball was going to be a great loss for me. And I came to school and it was the day you were supposed to turn in your spelling test and I hadn't gotten it signed. Now, I don't know if I intentionally didn't get it signed because I was embarrassed or ashamed of my grade, or I just forgot. Either way, I had a spelling test. It was there, and it wasn't signed. So guess what second grade Mike decided to do? He said, I will try to forge my parents' signature. And so in my second grade handwriting, which was as bad as it is today, I tried to sign for my, for my parents. And my, my teacher must have been like Sherlock Holmes because she didn't fall for it. <laughs> she knew exactly what I had done. And uh, the punishment was I had to go to the principal's office. And I went to the principal's office, and the principal took me to the phone and had me call my home phone number. And my mom picked up on the other end, and I had to tell her what I had done. And so I get on the phone, and I say, hey, mom. Hey, mom. And she's like, Mike, is there something wrong? And I said, (laughs) kind (laughs) of. You know, I have a spelling test every week. Well, I wrote your name on there instead of having you sign it. Well, I think my mom was so confused of why I was calling her in the middle of the day. She didn't really understand what I was telling her. And yet when I got home, they figured it out and I was in trouble. But I ended up not being able to go play kickball for a week. I lost all those privileges, and I've learned that lesson to today. God allowed me to make that mistake, because I will never forget that I chose to tell a lie when I should have told the truth. And I thought by telling the lie, I would gain an advantage in life. I thought by somehow, I could break the laws of God, and something good would happen, right? It would be beneficial to me, and yet in the end, it was worse than if I would have just told the truth to begin with. And I think this is such a valuable lesson. It's so important for us to realize we live in a world that's okay with lying as long as you think you can get away with it. We live in a world that thinks that lying is not a very big deal. That if, if, if it's small or insignificant or if it doesn't affect people in a terrible way or if it doesn't have major impact, if I can get away with it, if I think it's beneficial, then it's Okay. A lot of people say, I just go by my gut, and if my gut tells me it's okay to lie, then I'll lie. And that is a huge problem in our our culture. And that's a huge problem on the micro, where it's small. In my own personal life, if I tell lies in my relationship, it'll destroy my relationships. If I tell lies at work, it'll destroy my job. If I tell lies in my community, it'll destroy my relationships in the community. Lies will destroy just about any level of trust anywhere quicker than anything else. But the bigger problem, even bigger than that, is when our leaders lie. On the macro, on the big picture, when our leaders lie, it destroys a lot of things. Many of you, if you go to the next slide, you're going to see uh, this is Secretary of Defense in 1965, Robert McNamara. McNamara. Robert McNamara. Many of you know who he is. Um, during the Vietnam conflict, he came on national television and said, We were doing a great job. We were, just, we were really tearing it up, and the, the Vietnamese were about to quit. Later on, about 30 or 40 years after this, he wrote in his memoirs and it was recorded that he knew he was lying. He intentionally lied. Not only did he lie to the U.S. people on the television, he lied to the congressmen and senators when he was brought under their oath to tell them what was going on. So he lied. He's the leader. He's the top leader in this area of our country. He lies to the people, and he lies to the other leaders. Do you know what the consequence of that has been? The United States, as they surveyed up to 1950 and 1960, the trust in the government was overwhelming, 80% at times. They trusted that the decisions the government was making was accurate. Do you know, and we all know this, this isn't a surprise to any of us, the vast majority of our population Depending on who's in charge, whether it's Republican or Democrat, distrusts the leadership completely. Right? We don't trust our leaders. Look at our situation right now. We have a virus that has come in and we don't know who to trust. Why? Because we've been told lies before. What who can you trust when the foundation of trust has been destroyed? And so we are living in the fruit of a decision to lie see, the, the seed of lying was sown in 1965, and we are living in the consequence of that seed growing into a tree. And so we have a major problem. And it's not just the United States, the United Nations. Lies and deceptions, numbers about how many people have certain diseases, lies about the number of people that are in certain situations. They're used, they're inflated, so that more money can be given to them. And yet when that is realized and you figure out, wow, they told us a wrong number just so they could get more money. Guess what happens the next time they come and want money? And there is actually a real problem, and it's actually that size. You've eroded trust. And when you erode trust, not only the the nation, but the world falls apart, and people suffer in pain and anguish. In Proverbs, it says, where evil leaders rule, the people mourn. And anguish, because if you lie and you justify it because you think it's doing a good thing, you don't recognize that lie is a seed that grows and past the time of your decision will have ramifications and lies distort and destroy. And so this is a major problem in our nation. This is a major issue for us to consider. Go to the next slide. And so as we ask the Lord to speak to us this morning, we want to see what God has to say about this issue of lying. We want to ask him to, to guide our thoughts and our minds. And there might be someone here today that God's going to use in a powerful way to share this truth, to make an impact, to reveal the gospel to the world. And so we want to ask him to do that for us as we precede his word with prayer. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your hope. I thank you that you can be trusted. Your truth has been truth since the beginning. You do not change. You did not change in the past. You do not change in the present. You will not change in the future. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are true and, and worthy of our praise. And, Lord, you told us that your words will not return void, um, that if we uh, are led by your Spirit, that we are, we, it's a nutrition that we're going to receive. It's our food for today, Lord, that we would grow and become stronger because of what you've said. And so, Lord, help us now as we look to your word. Inspire us and passion us. Help us to see the world the way you do. Help us to care about the things you care about. Help us to be ambassadors for truth to this world. And Lord, if there's someone here, if any of us, Lord, are struggling in the area, Lord, help us um, to come to a place of humility and repentance because that's life and hope. And we ask you to do that in every single one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look back at the Ten Commandments, we look back at a a story. It's a historical account of, of what happened. God has revealed to us through Moses uh, the majority of of what took place um, prior to Jesus. And here we see uh, that God has made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has a son named Joseph. And we're told through these accounts that a great famine had begun that that Joseph had worked his way up even though he was sold into slavery by his brothers he works his way up to second in charge of the most powerful nation in the world Egypt and through that he is able to save his family from the famine and he brings them to live in a fertile part of Egypt Um, and they begin to settle there and begin to build a nation there really but they were under the control of Egypt well when Joseph dies and time passes and leaders change the new Egyptian Pharaoh no longer has favor for the Hebrew people and he puts them into slavery into bondage knowing that he needs to control these people And so for 400 years, these people are under bondage and slavery. Um, They weren't able to to worship the one true God. They weren't able to live uh, with the freedom to worship God the way he had revealed himself to them. And so they were slaves to the Egyptian powers. And under their slavery, Egypt began to saturate the Hebrew culture with its culture, which was made up of uh, polytheism, the worship of many gods. And as you look on the screen, you're going to see here are the major deities of the Egyptians. And each one of these is a deity that they would pray to, an idol that they would pray to, either for uh, the benefit of their family, for the benefit of their finances, for the benefit of their love life, for the benefit of their crops. And they were negotiable. So you would bring something to them and you would gain something in return. And unfortunately, many of the Hebrews began to believe these things, they began to believe the lies. The Egyptians were telling them about how the world works, who God is, or is there more than one God? And so God had to really deal with a problem of people believing a lie, a lie about himself. And in that lie, it opened the door for them to lie about each other, lie to each other. And so uh, there was a prevalent uh, approach to life where it was okay to lie to the people around you as long as you got what you wanted. Not too far off from what we live in today, that if I can get away with it, I'll do it. And so lying was prevalent. It's human nature. It's part of the sin condition, is that if we we think we can get away with it, if we think it's beneficial, we're going to do it. We're going to lie. And so Moses meets with God, and God gives him these ten commandments, these ten statements about who we are, who God is, and when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, how we're to live. And so we get to this ninth commandment. And it says this Exodus 10 16 You should not give false testimony against your neighbor, you should not give false testimony, you should not lie about your neighbor or to your neighbor and though we're not to lie because lying was prevalent lying is prevalent in us our tendency is to lie and we understand because of lies that it causes great problems well the next question becomes well who's my neighbor is it just the people that live next door to me is it just the people that I know well Jesus clarifies for us of that in luke chapter 10 verse 29 uh one of the the leading religious scholars one of the leading religious pharisees comes to jesus and he knows all of the, these laws and rules and regulations and he says jesus uh which of the laws is is the most important and he's and, and jesus says well what do you think he says well love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and jesus says you are wise in saying this and then he goes on to ask him because that the question that then was obvious is well who's my neighbor who's my neighbor And Jesus tells him a story about a a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a downhill travel. It was a journey that was perilous, and there were many thieves that would stay on that traveling road and attack the people as they went by, and that happened to this individual. This man was attacked, everything was stolen from them, and he was left there to die, bruised and bleeding on the side of the road. Now, a priest, the one who was supposed to represent God, The one who was supposed to be right with God and teach those other people to be right with God. He's walking down the road and he sees this man on the side of the road and he has no sympathy, no empathy, no concern for this man whatsoever. He walks on by. He has to stick to his own regiment, his life. A Levite, a leader, someone who has a power and position, authority. He walks on by. He looks and sees the man in his condition. He's too busy and he keeps walking on by. Now the Samaritans, Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile, so they were thought of as second-class citizens, not as important. Yet this Samaritan is walking by, and he sees the condition of this man, and his heart is broken for him, and he goes over, and he tends to the wounds. He puts him on his mule, and he takes him to the inn, and he tells the innkeeper, get the medicine, get this guy taken care of. I will cover the costs, up to whatever is needed our turn to make sure things are set free Jesus says to the Pharisee in the story who was the neighbor who was the neighbor and there was the realization that everyone on the planet that's not me is my neighbor every person I see is my neighbor so I can't it doesn't say don't tell false testimony don't lie um, to your family but it's okay to lie to the government it's okay to lie to your job, because so, they're bad anyway. Really? Right? It's okay. You can lie to them, because they're bad. If they're bad, you can lie to them. No, God says your neighbors, everybody. Even the, the people you think are bad, you can't lie to them. Even if you think they're corrupt, you can't lie to them. Because truth is too valuable. Truth is, is a universal principle. Truth is part of the ingrained nature that God created for us to operate in. And when you break that, there's always death. There's always something that will be negative when you break an eternal tr- eternal reality that God has created within the universe. So who is our neighbor? Everyone is our neighbor. But we need to understand this too, and I think this is so vitally important for us to recognize in this day. John 8, says this. This is Jesus talking to these same religious leaders, these same Pharisees, and he says this to them. He says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, there are two families in the human race. There are two families you can belong to spiritually. You can belong to God, who is light and truth and righteousness. Or you can belong to Satan, who's death. And your father's language will become your language. You know, sometimes, it's becoming less now, they would say to my son, you look so much like your dad. I watch me on these videos and I say, what is my dad doing up there? I discipline my kids, and I'm like, "Wow, that's what my dad did." I see my dad in me because we become like our fathers, we become like our parents. There's a when you're invested and you have that deep relationship, it becomes part of who you are. And you know what? It's the same thing spiritually. We become more and more like our Heavenly Father the more we spend time with Him, the more we build relationship with Him, the more we commit to Him, the more we live in that beautiful, wonderful, daily relationship with Him. You begin to look like Him in your spirit, and your truth becomes consistent and and accountable, and and it's there. You're a truthful person. But you know the same thing's true if you're not in His family. If your father is the devil— You will speak the language of your father. And that is lying. And you know, there's people in this world, their their first language is the language of lying. They will, I had a friend, and this is not to put him down. I had a friend in college that if he was laughing, we knew he was telling the truth. Everything else was a lie. (laughs) Because he struggled with this. We all struggle with this. But there is a reality And we need to realize it as followers of Christ that not everyone is in the family of God. And not everyone has the spirit of truth. We want everyone to. We want to invite everyone into his family. But some people will say, no, I don't want to be in that family. Some people will reject the truth. And we have to realize that our world does not run, not everyone who's in charge, not everyone that we deal with is a child of God. Some are the children, and they've committed to it, of lying. And so we have to be careful in understanding that and discerning. We are to be wise. Jesus said, be wise as serpents but harmless as doves. Don't be foolish in falling into the traps of the enemy. God is the father of truth. Satan is the father of lies. Proverbs 12, says this, the Lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy it's an amazing thing to me i always you know you think of god as how they've painted him an old man who's kind of cranky and doesn't want you to have any fun that's what i the opinion of youth that i've worked with for a long time that's kind of the picture i got that a lot of people have of god that he's kind of sitting up there he's got gray hair and he's just watching you saying you're just a mess up why do you keep screwing up that's not god at all First of all, God is timeless, so he's younger than any of us. He's never aged a day. So he is in his prime. He is a spirit. Jesus is the body. And so he's a reflection of the eternal trinity. But the truth is he's loving and gracious, but he also has emotions. Do you know God has emotions? We have emotions because God has emotions. We are a reflection of him. He is not a reflection of us. And he can get angry. But and he can get upset, and I look at this and I see that he delight, uh, he detests, he detests lying lips. He hates it when we lie. He hates it when people lie, but he gets excited and he gets joy when they're trustworthy. What a clear, clearly defined path we have. If, I, if I'm willing to be his child, I'm going to live a life of truthfulness, even if the truth hurts, right? Because yet I make a mistake, you make a mistake, and we got to own up to be it and be truthful, or we can hide it with lies, right? That's how it works. You're going to make a ton more mistakes in your life. I'm going to make a ton more mistakes in my life. And am I going to hide it with lies? And it'll hurt with the truth. The truth is going to hurt. But lies are going to hurt a lot more. Lies are going to hurt a lot, lot more in the end. This is what God wants me to know. This is what God wants you to know. This is what God wants us to share with everyone we know. Okay, so what's the answer then? This is a hard, this is a hard issue. This is an issue that touches everybody's lives. What is the answer? It's interesting, in John chapter 18, this is Pilate. Jesus is brought uh, before the Sanhedrin. Now he's brought before Pilate, and he's about to be put on the cross. And he's having this interesting discussion with Pilate, who's the Roman leader. He's in charge of what's going on in Jerusalem. He's the Roman official. He's trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, and this is the conversation he has. He says, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and it came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Here's Pilate's response. What is truth? What is truth? Pilate retorted, with this he went out again to the Jewish gathering there and said, I find no basis for charging against him. You know, the problem with Pilate is he didn't stick around to hear the answer. He left. He asked the most important question, and then he left. And didn't wait to listen to the answer. He asked the question, what is truth? Thankfully, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the people that watched him and listened to him. And had a deep relationship uh, before the cross, after the resurrection. One of the people that allow us an insight into Jesus like no one else. Who recorded a book for us to read so we can know Jesus so much more than we ever would have been able to. He writes us this in John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one truth. It's exclusive and inclusive. It's exclusive. There's no other way. There's no more roads to heaven. There's just one road to heaven, and it's Jesus, the one he paved for us. And people ask me all the time, don't you think there's a lot of ways to get to heaven? Don't you think that it's just, you know, your way is your way and other people's way is their way? And I tell them, you know, someone in the Bible asked this question. Jesus asked this question. Jesus asked the question, is there any other way? If you you read about when he's in Gethsemane and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let that be the way. But not my will, your will be done. So Jesus asked the question, are there lots of roads to you, God, or am I the only one? And God's response is, you're the only one. You are the only way. You are the only truth. You are the only life. No one gets to me except through you. And so until we get that right, until we recognize that, until a person recognizes that, they will never truly understand truth. Because Jesus is the basis of truth. He is truth. We need that information just to be discerning, just to have understanding in life. How do we apply this truth? How do we live out this truth? Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In the morning, do you put on the belt of truth? Sometimes it's hard to find your belt, right? But the belt of truth. Paul's writing this because he's in prison and there's these soldiers walking around. And he has a really good understanding of how their outfits work. And he says, hey, that's, the Holy Spirit led him to write that this is a good equivocation. This is a good uh, point or tool for people to understand how to use this truth. And so he says, put it on like a belt. Put it on like a belt. And when you put it on like a belt, you know what happens in life? The truth will set you free. You're living under the burden of sin. You're living under the burden of guilt. You're struggling with any issue in your life. The truth will set you free. Truth will set your neighbor free. You talk to someone and all they talk about is how miserable they are and how horrible things are and how scared they are. The truth will set them free. The truth will set them free. Can you offer them the truth? Yes, you can offer them the truth. Do they need the truth? Absolutely, they need the truth. We're going into family days, Port Orange family days, so we can offer the truth. We want to offer people a belt, the belt of truth. We want them to have that in their life, something they can count on, something they can believe in that's beyond our government, beyond those who control this world. It's eternal. It's based on the Lord. It's based on God who created all things. To apply the belt of truth first, Here's how it works. You must repent and believe in Jesus as the truth. I have pride. I am stubborn as a person. At 16 years old, I remember a speaker. He was really, he was not a a feel-good speaker. He was like direct. He said, a lot of you are wearing masks and you're pretending to be something you're not. And you're not really a follower of Christ. You just say it, but it's not really who you are. And the Holy Spirit convicted me deeply. That's who I was that's who I was and he said today are you ready to make a decision are you ready to repent and believe and I can remember there was like world war three going on in my soul because my pride and my sin wanted control and I wanted to let it have control because it was comfortable I knew what it was and I liked it but the Holy Spirit of God said choose Mike make a decision." And he he asked me to get on my knees in front of people, which I would never do. I don't do that kind of thing. And yet he said, I just want you to do. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was such a pinnacle part of my life. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives. But it's a battle because our flesh is strong. Our sin nature is strong. And it wants to hold us. And until we come to that place where we don't just know about repenting and believing, but we've done it. We've experienced it. We know what it's like to be a child of God. We know what it's like for the Holy Spirit of God to be guiding you and convicting you of sin and empowering you to speak his words and to live the life he wants you to live. So that's the first thing. If you don't do that, none of this matters. That's the first thing for all of us. That's the first thing everyone needs to do. And then you put on the belt of truth every day. You know what belts do? They do two things. They hold everything up. Right? They hold up my family. If I'm truthful, it holds up my family. It holds up my job. It holds up my social life. It holds up my private life. It holds it up. It allows it to stay up and be in the right place. When I tell the truth and I live a truthful life, it holds things where they need to be. And secondly... It holds everything together. It holds everything else in your life together. You know, a police officer, he'll have a gun. He'll have, uh, the, he'll have all the other things he needs on his belt. The keys, the handcuffs, all the different things that help him do his job. But they're connected to the belt. Truth holds up kindness. Truth holds up graciousness. Truth holds up all the other things That God wants to have in your life. Truth is the center. Truth is the part where when you put it together, it surrounds you and it allows you to carry these other things like compassion and dignity and character. All the things that God wants in your life, it starts with putting on truth. And so putting on the belt of truth every day, I commit to the Lord, I'm going to be honest today. You know, the first century church, what they would do every Sunday it was amazing thing to learn this. When the first century church met, it was illegal. They met in caves and homes. They would meet on Sunday morning before work because they had to work on Sunday. They would meet before work in a gathering and a group of people. They would sing a hymn or a song, and then they would declare together, they would say, let us be honest and truthful this week. Let us reflect Christ. We have them today. They have been written down. Their declarations they are things that are were so truthful and so part of who they were that they wanted to say it and make sure. Are you going to be truthful this week? Are you going to be truthful this week? I will be truthful this week. Let's be the, the reflection of Christ in our world, and that's what they did. And I believe today we're to follow their example. And when we meet together, and when we talk about something like this, we we were honest that we've lied. We've honest, we've messed up, but then we commit to truth. We commit to it. And we say, I'm going to be a truthful person. I'm going to be an honest person even when it hurts. I'm going to be an honest person. And then finally, I think it's so vital that we recognize that there are two families in this world. You see, to be twice born, to be born again is to be born into a new family. But until you're born into that family, you're also part of a family. You're part of a lost family. You're part of a a sin-filled, fleshly family. And we have to recognize that we're to love that other family, love them so much that we invite them into this family with the Lord, but not to be foolish, not to be foolish and trusting or, or allowing terrible things to happen because we believe that they're coming from a place of honesty all the time. So we have to be wise and discerning and loving and caring. But understand the wheat and the chaff are together till the end. And we need to see that and recognize that. So my question, are you twice born? Have you been born of the Spirit? Do you know Christ is your Lord and Savior? Romans ten nine: if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Has that happened in your life? And then finally, what is God telling you? We didn't gather here to hear from me or even sing songs that somebody else had written. We're here to hear from God. I'm here to hear from God. What is he saying? One of the things Jesus did, it was such a special gift to all of us, as he said, as often as you meet together, remember me. Remember my death, burial, resurrection, and we call that communion, common unity in Christ. Communing in his death, burial, and resurrection, recognizing through his stripes we are healed. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 30 says, So then whoever eats this bread, talking about the communion bread, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord everyone who ought, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ and eating and drinking the judgment eat and drink judgment on themselves that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep and so we we take this part of what we do extraordinarily seriously This is not ritual. This is not we're doing it because we're supposed to do it or it's just part of our routine. This is the communion of Christ representing his death on the cross, his body being broken for us, his blood being spilled in a new commitment, a new covenant that we can trust because it's trustworthy, that through his blood, he has had a blood transplant spiritually with us That we are set free from the disease of sin. And so, as we come to this most important moment, I would encourage you if there's anything that the Lord is convicting you about, that you would release it and repent of it and ask God to help you to know what actions you need to take to rectify if necessary. But as we come to the table of communion, the qualifications are this if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've confessed and believed, and you know that he is your Lord, and you know that he is your Savior, then we ask you to join us as a family in partaking. If you've not yet made this decision, I'm so happy you're here. We love you. We care about you. But it would be of the utmost importance not to take communion. Because this is such an important thing. And so, as we come to this time in a moment, the deacons will come forth. We'll distribute the elements. We'd ask you to hold them. Um, Somewhat because of COVID, we're trying to be careful. So, you'll have a plastic lid that you'll pull off, it'll have the bread. There'll be another plastic lid for the cup. I will lead us in the partaking and remembering of this wonderful act that Christ did for us. And so, now for a few moments, let us calm our hearts and our souls. Let us listen to God.